Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976 permits limited use of copyrighted material for news and educational purposes. This podcast is copyrighted by the Underground Christian Broadcast. Episode 46 of the Underground Christian Podcast, where the Bible and the 21st century collide head-on in a spectacular display of shock and awe. Last episode, I laid out the great deception that will consume the entire world in the end times, that deception being the belief that the Antichrist is God. Today, we begin to march toward that deception in order to show how it will be brought about. The deception is not just going to materialize in a technological world, It will require the technological world in order to materialize. Before the Antichrist can be revealed to the world, several elements of the deception must first be constructed. And they are being constructed, courtesy of the world. The world in this context is the political, economic, social, and military system that has been constructed to advance the agenda of Satan, which is ultimately to bring the Antichrist to power. The world, in the sense that the Bible uses the term, is not a ball of dirt hanging in space or the people who inhabit the ball of dirt. It is a complex system of interrelated components, the sum of which is greater than the parts. That's why it can be a challenge for people to perceive the world in our everyday lives. We only come into contact with a small part of the much larger machine that is driving us inevitably and inexorably towards that date with God determined by destiny. Having said that, if we are part of the system that makes up the world, then one way or another we're part of the world. Unfortunately, it's not possible for us to withdraw completely from the world, or we would have to remove ourselves from every political, economic, social, and military activity that the world touches. That's not only impractical, it's virtually impossible. But we can keep our distance from the key institutions and activities, like jobs and investments, that directly lead to the rise of Antichrist. We can also withdraw and keep our distance from the values and attitudes of the world because those values and attitudes motivate people to support the program, and most of those attitudes and values are demon-inspired lies. Nothing is more misleading and demonic, for example, than the destructive lie that is repeated loudly and often that the climate is undergoing some kind of catastrophic change due to human activities. That is actually more destructive than the transgender movement because the transgender movement is, for the most part, a matter of choice. You either choose to participate in it or you don't. For those who don't, it's disturbing and disgusting, but it generally won't directly affect us unless we let it. The climate change lie, on the other hand, will dramatically and destructively affect all of us whether we subscribe to it or not because it's going to result in social and economic chaos. Every imaginable act of tyranny and societal destruction is being justified on the back of climate change. I often quote the Bible to illustrate some principles we're discussing because the Bible contains the very words of God and is always true and applicable. But once in a while, it's worth quoting someone from the world because the people of the world, once in a while, will let out an important truth. One of the great truths concerning lies that are told by influential people and organizations, like the government, goes something like this. If you tell a lie big enough and keep on repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. This quote is commonly attributed to Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister of Nazi Germany during World War II, but Goebbels never actually said it. It likely comes from a passage in Mein Kampf, Hitler's dissertation about his political dreams and ambitions. 
He was talking about Viennese Jews who tried to discredit the activities that the German government conducted during World War I. Listen to what he wrote about lying. Quote, In the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility because the broad masses of a nation are always more easily corrupted in the deeper strata of their emotional nature than consciously or voluntarily. And thus, in the primitive simplicity of their minds, they more readily fall victims to the big lie than the small lie, since they themselves often tell small lies in little matters, but would be ashamed to resort to large-scale falsehoods. It would never come into their heads to fabricate colossal untruths, and they would not believe that others would have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. Even though the facts which prove this to be so may be brought clearly to their minds, they will still doubt and waver and will continue to think that there may be some other explanation. End quote. Hitler's first point is that big lies carry more credibility than little lies, not because they're more believable, but simply because simple people are unable to accept that a nice person on the telly is telling them a really big whopper of a lie, because it would never enter their simple minds to do such a thing themselves. Oh, small lives they would believe a person can tell, because they do it all the time. But a really big, ginormous lie coming from people whom they believe care about them and are working for good is unthinkable. But there is another reason people buy big lies as well. It's because they often appeal to our emotional nature rather than our mind and intellect. The emotions that fuel our desires and our will are what the Bible calls our heart. The key characteristic of the biblical heart is that it does not carefully examine the things that trigger it to respond, and therefore the heart is prone to responding irrationally. The emotions of our heart often overrule our intellect, which leaves the heart vulnerable to carefully selected emotional stimuli. God said in Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now that may not be a pleasant affirming characteristic of our emotional nature, but it's a true characteristic that accords with the observations of Adolf Hitler. And don't think that our own political and worldly leaders don't know that this is the characteristic of the heart. They know it very well, and they expertly and regularly apply that knowledge to elicit emotions from others that suit their political, economic, and social agendas. Every word out of the mouth of politicians, every sound and image of promotional advertisements from corporations, and every propaganda statement of progressive organizations is designed to evoke an emotional response from us, an emotion that is necessary for their agendas to be advanced, because their agendas often cannot stand up to rational scrutiny, and that means they cannot endure comparison with an eternal unchanging standard. Progressives prove it every time their agenda gets challenged. Whenever a conservative shows up on a college campus, for example, the young emoters march and storm and chant and scream their slogans until their adversary chooses the peace of absence over the conflict of presence. Or, if chanting and storming doesn't work, the emoters will rage ever more energetically and rain down abusive language on their adversary, even resorting to physical intimidation if it becomes necessary. So our emotional nature, which is our heart, is the most easily manipulated and hence corrupted part of our being. The people who allow their heart to lead their head are prone to being victimized by big lies. Being driven by their heart, they will believe any huge lie if it tweaks their emotional heartstring, and they will assume any other normal person will feel the same way, normal to them. But the most important part of Hitler's observation of human nature is his conclusion. He said, 
even though the facts which prove this to be so may be brought clearly to their minds, they will still doubt and waver and will continue to think that there may be some other explanation. And this is the key point. People who run their lives by their emotions will not, or cannot, examine events through reasoned analysis. They always search for some explanation other than they are being told a great lie because their emotions have been conditioned to accept the lie. Any remotely plausible explanation will do, no matter how seemingly ridiculous the explanation may seem to people who employ reasoned analysis, or how much the lie contradicts the reality of the situation. If there is a shred of plausibility to another explanation, they will glom onto it. And that, my friends, is where we are as a culture. We have endured decades of carefully crafted emotional manipulations and have been exposed to the most diabolical intellectual impairments just to deliver us to such a time as this. Not everyone, of course, but enough ones. Any plausible explanation other than we are being lied to will satisfy this kind of person, and no amount of evidence is likely to change their minds as long as they are able to cling to some shred of plausibility. The host of the SGT report, for example, has told the story of when he used to meet with friends after work, and he tried to convince them that the official story of 9-11 just didn't make any sense. The facts accorded much more closely to a government conspiracy to create a massive false flag event, a false flag being an event that is orchestrated or staged by the government to look like it was conducted by a target enemy. It was the response of one of his friends that's most disturbing. His friend said, even if it's true that the government staged the attack, I would choose not to believe it because I don't want to think that my government could be so evil. And that is the power of the heart over the intellect, and it exemplifies exactly what Adolf Hitler wrote. So anthropogenic global warming, which was later changed to anthropogenic climate change when it became painfully obvious that the climate was not warming, is one of those big, big lies. It is so audacious a lie that many people refuse to believe it could possibly be a lie, even though formerly common sense should tell them that it has to be a lie. I articulated several reasons why it is obviously a lie a couple of episodes back, but there's another lie that we have to examine today, and it hits much closer to home. It is the lie that actually started this podcast. It was clearly a lie even back then, although the reason for the lie was not as clear at the time. It is the lie of a vaccine that is actually a bioweapon, a very sophisticated, clever, and diabolical bioweapon. I am using the term diabolical because it's applicable. It is the diablos, the demons of the spiritual world, who hatch these big, massive lies that are going to lead to the rise of Antichrist. As I said last week, we have to revisit this topic of the bioweapon to understand how the next component of the big lie is going to operate. This is a complicated subject, and possibly one of the most complicated we're going to cover, so I have to break it down into two parts. This is part one. Today we're going to introduce some key components of the bioweapon, and next time we will see how those components operate. But before we get started, we first need to stipulate an inconvenient and uncomfortable fact. It's the fact that we are at war. We are at war spiritually, and we are at war physically. War is an unfortunate fact of life that's not going to go away until Jesus arrives in power on the earth and forces human weapons to be turned into plowshares, which is another way of saying we will exchange the things of destruction for the things of construction. War, in fact, has been a continuous facet of human existence since antiquity, when fallen angels ruled over men and taught them war. 
Genesis 6.13 says, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The them that God is speaking about is not humanity. It is the sons of God who are fallen angels sent to the earth to teach and instruct humanity in the art of peace and civilization. But instead, the angels decided to use their superhuman bodies to do unlawful and immoral things. They chose to mate with human women and animals, which led to the birth of Nephilim, who were giants on the earth, and all kinds of mutated creatures. And they contended with each other for power and worship by expending human lives through war and violence. Much like some people today gamble with each other by fighting dogs, the angels trained human armies to develop a spirit of destruction and led those armies into war to fight each other in bloody conflicts. It was the angels who taught the art of war to humanity. The conversion of humanity from peaceful hunter-gatherers and farmers into ruthless killers who bred mutated giants led God to send the flood to destroy much of the earth. He needed to not only purify the genetic bloodlines of people and animals to restore them to what he had created, but he needed to bring an end to the modification of humanity that the angels were engineering by destroying the angels along with their hybrid mutants. And that's why in Genesis 6-3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. God had to contend with the angels to preserve an uncorrupted remnant of humanity, and he had no intention of contending or striving on behalf of humanity forever. The permanent answer was to destroy all life that had been corrupted by the angels, as well as the human-like bodies of the angels themselves. In Genesis 6.13, God said, Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Again, he was not talking about human beings here, but the angels who sinned and rebelled against him, which he confirmed in Psalm 82.6-7, which reads, I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So the angels' bodies died, and they fell like human princes. Unfortunately for us, they're making a comeback. This is round two of the great human metamorphosis, and these demon creatures who are driven back into the spirit world are driving it. War is a part of human society, which should be obvious from the amount of money that the countries of the world spend on it especially the United States. If you don't think much about war and those who wage it, you might want to start. Every military is a machine of destruction and control, not for our good, but for the benefit of those in power. We can dress it up and parade it around and send it on missions of mercy, but in the final analysis, everything it does is designed to destroy things in order to gain control over other things. America has the largest military in the world, and when you include the businesses and industries that work directly with the military and are under contract with the military, it's a huge organization that consumes a vast amount of the wealth that America produces. That wealth goes into weapons of destruction and control. As pointed out in past episodes, the weapons of warfare have changed over the years, and the tools and tactics used by modern 4th, 5th, and 6th generation warfare look nothing like the weapons of earlier eras. Yes, we still have guns that go bang, but that's not the weapon of choice in the 21st century. The ideal weapon is one that can be deployed covertly so that no one is aware of its deployment and it can destroy without drawing attention to itself. It is a weapon that can gain control over whatever it is designed to control before anyone is even aware that the weapon exists, much less how it operates and where it's deployed. You are at war and so am I, so it's in our best interest to know who we are fighting, where they are located, and what weapons they are using against us, our family, and our children. 
because we can do something about it. I need to clarify that this is a covert war, meaning a secret war or a hidden war. We are not supposed to be aware of it, so to become aware of it, we have to open our minds and our eyes to see what is right in front of us. If we do happen to see it, we are not supposed to understand it because our emotions have been conditioned to disbelieve our eyes and refuse to think. For those with eyes to see, it was clear from the start that the bioweapon masquerading as a vaccine was a weapon of some kind. The governments of the world stood in lockstep with each other and with the World Health Organization by uniformly declaring a public health emergency of international concern when there was no international public health emergency at all. There was the seasonal flu, and there was a weapon that was released in key geographic areas to create the illusion of a respiratory virus. To create the illusion of a pandemic, though, the governments of the world had to do four things simultaneously. First, they had to release a substance, let's just keep it at substance for now, that created some respiratory issues in some people during flu season. It was initially released in Wuhan, China, and was later delivered to Italy and New York. The people who came into contact with this substance developed a respiratory infection which often led to pneumonia. Second, they needed a widespread common illness to group with the new substance to create the appearance of a widespread novel virus. That substitute illness was a seasonal flu, which got grouped into the novel virus category by misusing a tool for diagnosis called the PCR test. Third, they needed a lot of deaths to create a panic. That was accomplished in several ways. First, the elderly were forced into confined, crowded housing conditions where the flu could spread quickly and easily. Second, drugs known or suspected to have a therapeutic effect on the new infection, such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, among others, were viciously vilified, banned from use, and purged from pharmacies and drugstores in Western countries. Third, a new protocol was unleashed by the CDC to treat COVID by placing patients on respirators, turning up the pressure far above what was therapeutically needed, simultaneously depriving the patients of alternative care and isolating them so they could not get outside assistance, starving them, depriving them of fluids, and pumping them up with harmful and experimental drugs such as remdesivir that is known to cause organ failure. To make sure as many people died as possible, the U.S. government rewarded hospitals and doctors for every COVID death with lucrative financial rewards. Fourth, the rules for determining the cause of death on official death certificates was changed so that COVID would be named the cause of death even if it was just tangentially associated with a death or was only detected using since-discredited PCR testing methods or in many cases was just fabricated to qualify for more lucrative financial rewards. Fifth, people were locked down in their homes and discouraged from going outside, thereby spreading illness inside buildings and preventing people from getting enough vitamin D from sunlight, which is known to both fight the flu and this thing they call COVID. Sixth, people were compelled to wear face masks, even though face masks do nothing to prevent the spread of respiratory viruses, but they do contribute to respiratory and other infections from unsanitary coverings and depleted oxygen levels in the blood. The combination of all these unprecedented actions led directly to a large number of deaths that were then shamefully sensationalized by an eager and cooperative mainstream press, complete with breathless tones of worry and fearful allusions to mass infections and death. So they created the appearance of a pandemic to justify the next step. The governments of the world authorized the use of an experimental injectable material that had not been tested, was not able to be authorized under any normal medical protocol, 
from which the manufacturers were given complete immunity and which had ostensibly been developed over a few days from viral genetic information provided by China across the Internet, and they virtually forced the substance on a large percentage of their populations. Then they ran ad campaigns to encourage people to get the shot. Then they locked down anyone who would not take the shot. They isolated people who would not take the shot. They allowed employers to fire anyone who would not take the shot. They bribed people to take the shot. Remember the ice cream and the, and the raffle tickets? They celebrated people who took the shot and disparaged and vilified anyone who did not take the shot. They worked with big tech to demean and censor anyone who criticized the government's COVID response or had doubts about the shot or tried to expose negative and dangerous adverse events arising from the shot, including deaths, or who advocated alternatives to the shot. To anyone who was thinking rationally, Everything the governments of the world did was designed to influence or compel us to take the shot up to and including forced injections. Nothing remotely like this had ever happened before, especially at the scale of this operation. Poor countries where ivermectin was routinely used, such as Africa, had almost no COVID cases despite having primitive healthcare systems, whereas wealthy countries with advanced healthcare systems like the United States, but which banned ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, saw soaring numbers of COVID cases. Anytime governments around the world work in lockstep to do something that is, at best, highly unusual, any sensible person should pause and consider what is happening. It was very obvious that the whole point of the draconian response to a virus was to compel people to get inoculated with a supposed vaccine. That was the point then, and it remains the point to this day, despite everything we know about the widespread and extremely serious adverse events caused by the inoculations and the push for inoculation continues even with the virtual disappearance of COVID. The governments of the world still want us to get inoculated with their growing number of emergency use authorized potions. It took time, but some truly brave researchers are slowly identifying what is in these potions and how they operate, even as many of them continue to work under the threat of personal and professional prosecution for just trying to figure out what is happening and how the inoculations work. The problem they are having is that the inoculation, which I will hereafter refer to as the bioweapon, has several modes of operation. There is a lot of bioweapon technology packed into that little syringe. Some of the bioweapon adverse events affect only a few people. Some of the bioweapon adverse events affect only people who are selected to have it affect them. And some bioweapon adverse events affect all people but manifest themselves differently. Some bioweapon adverse events wait quietly in a dormant state until the weapon is triggered by an external source to activate the effects. And the bioweapon components are all very, very tiny, which makes proving their existence and assessing their function very difficult for those who had to start from square one. But now the good white hat scientists, lawyers, and technicians who are working hard to unmask the hidden attributes of the bioweapon have amassed enough data to make some educated assessments of both its intended use and its effectiveness. It has probably helped that the bioweapon had to be unleashed before it was fully ready for the rollout. The globalists could not risk letting Trump get elected into office for a second term, and they needed something big to justify all the changes to the voting systems that enabled them to cheat their way to victory. That something that they needed was the pandemic. It was the pandemic that justified the mail-in ballots, and without them, the steel would have been much harder to carry off. I don't know why they considered Trump so much of a threat that they were compelled to unleash their weapon before they were ready, 
but that seems to be the case. They did not have the manufacturing system set up, and they had to scramble to create it. They also did not seem to have a final version of the inoculation ready. They were still testing various compositions, which is why different lots of inoculate, or batches of vaccines, showed extreme variations of side effects on the test populations. It was Sasha Latipova, an expert in vaccine quality control operations, who first brought this problem to public light, and she did a good job explaining it. For those of you who follow this podcast, you may recognize Sasha from a previous episode. I first um, started looking into VAERS database because it's a CDC vaccine adverse event reporting system, uh, which is publicly available. And that system contains uh, lot numbers or batch numbers for vaccines. Um, so uh, I, I started looking into that and how the adverse event reports and deaths um, reports were very highly variable by each batch of, the vac- of these mRNA vaccines. Um, and I, I did get together with a number of people, including Mike Eden, um, and you know we called ourselves Team Enigma, um, and we you know we collaborated and we did analysis and discussed it for several months. Um, and eventually, so the the analysis revealed that these products do not comply at all with good manufacturing practices because the variability was um, thousands of times higher, lot to lot of batch to batch than is expected from uh, a well-manufactured product that's complying with good manufacturing practices. And good manufacturing practices is a set of laws. It's a very extensive set of laws in the U.S. and there is similar legislation in the in Western world where, you know, it, it's, it's all designed to control um, how the product is made, the quality of the product and consistency, specifically purity and potency. Um, and uh, um, it, it throughout the whole manufacturing chain, from raw materials to intermediate pieces, supplies, and uh, final assembly and shipping, and also in distribution. So that's supposed to be traced through the distribution so that if anything happens uh, with administration of this product, then we can trace back throughout the whole system and all the way to the raw material suppliers and figure out which piece is wrong, what what went wrong, where there's a problem and what needs to be fixed. And obviously it's a hugely complex system and a very complex set of laws uh, that apply to it. And if you follow that more or less, you know, there's always room for improvement. But if you follow that more or less, like we found with uh, traditional flu vaccines, they seem to be manufactured to those standards and they didn't vary much at all. Uh, lots over time, different manufacturers, different sizes of lots, the, the performance was very consistent. They did not vary much at all. There was about like five to 10 adverse event reports per lot over a very long history. And, the, and these systems exist, uh, you know, in the U.S., both at federal, state and local county level, health authorities do that. So for, for these products, uh, we actually, uh, you know, I found one news report in uh, Orange County, California, um, the health authority accidentally did their job. And on January 18th, 2021, which is just two weeks after the full rollout of these shots in the United States, they detected a problem with a lot of Moderna. Uh, and they said there were too many, well, they call it allergic reactions. Uh, but then, and there was, it was in, it reported in numerous news outlets, including on CNN. Uh, and then nothing happened. And I, and that lot was continued to be distributed all over the United States uh, until end of March, until it, it ran out. 
And uh, I counted in their system uh, over 3,000 adverse event reports for, the, for it and 60 deaths. So on January 18th, they detect an issue. They do nothing and they kill 60 people, at least. We know VAERS is underreported. So very early in the so-called pandemic, responsible officials were aware that something was very, very wrong with the vaccines from a normal vaccine deployment perspective, and they chose to do nothing. Today, we are even more aware of the great variability in vaccine batches, yet nothing has been done and nothing has changed. Why? Because it is a weapon that has been unleashed under a Department of Defense program, which Sasha also will explain. So after that occurrence, everything else should be considered intentional. And by the way, throughout the world. Because this product is distributed throughout the world and wherever it's sold in every country, this should be noted by the regulators. And nobody did anything. So, all right, now we now we get to the, the crux of the issue here because you just said something to me before we started speaking online that, that is shocking. But also, uh, I'm not surprised. But I want you to explain to, to, to me and, and to the audience exactly how this fraud came about in terms of the regulators playing the role of the regulator but not actually being regulators. They know and they're just part of the theater. Um, the United States government and Department of Defense um, are running this program. United States government over many years, and this, this goes back to you know, a decade, uh, they put in place three key pieces where they uh, removed the, the regulations that we just discussed. They removed the good manufacturing practice requirements and all safety monitoring requirements for uh, what they call countermeasures. So they, they call these things countermeasures. These, by the way, these vaccines or not vaccines, injections, they're classified as countermeasures. And countermeasures is a is an a, it's a euphemism for weapons. Uh, so uh, Department of Defense has the right to order uh, these countermeasures, meaning weapons, from private manufacturers, meaning Pfizer, Moderna, and a whole bunch of their own suppliers. There's like hundreds of companies that make this, um, and these are emergency use authorized, so no regulations apply to them. And this happens under public health emergency. So three things you have to, you have a DOD, uh, other transactional authority where, where, whereby they contract with private manufacturers, they make countermeasures, uh, which are emergency use authorized. And this happens under public health emergency. So when those conditions are met, no regulations apply whatsoever. The only standard for releasing them or deploying them is um, United States Health and Human Services head, um, which is secretary, which is uh, at the time when that started was Alex Azar under Trump administration. And now currently it's Javier Becerra. It's up to that person's sole discretion to deploy these weapons if they feel that they may be effective. That's it. There's no other standard that applies. So this is Operation Warp Speed, which is a DOD operation, Department of Defense operation um, that they set up. Department of Defense is explicitly chief operating officer of this whole organization, which is called Operation Warp Speed. 
um, there are a bunch of, there's a layer of US government that designs, develops, manufactures these products and pharmas are just suppliers. They execute on the orders. Okay. But everything is designed, developed, manufactured by and over, you know, the oversight is DOD and then they release these, but the legal structure is that, uh, once they made these things, then HHS secretary, Alex Azar, if he decides that they may be effective, they can be released on the market. So notice that this is all done by DOD under command of the DOD with their suppliers and network and so forth. DOD is not regulated by FDA. It's not regulated by good manufacturing practices or good distribution practices, does not have to run clinical trials, does not have to demonstrate safety and efficacy. And by the way, for these products, no clinical trials are needed because HHS secretary declares them may be effective. That's it. They don't have to be safe. So that interview with Sasha was in November of 2022. Way back then, it was a demonstrated fact from publicly available contracts and analysis of legal structures that were put in place by the government that the release of the COVID material and the inoculation that came after it were both DOD weapons programs designed, planned, launched, and administered by entities under contract with the DOD or controlled by the DOD. A lot has happened since then in the world of inoculation research, and now we know much more about what this inoculation is, how it works, and what may be looming in our future. And it's not a simple weapon system. It was not designed in three days from genetic data provided by a Chinese website, as several spokespeople for the vaccine industry claimed. And so we have to be grateful here that the Chinese posted the genetic code because it was from that that you were able to start working on it, understanding what was actually happening here. Yep. Um, so once you have that code, why is that important? What does that unlock for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I have to thank the Chinese authorities because without that, we really couldn't have done anything. So because we use a DNA medicine vaccine, we need the genetic code to be able to design the vaccine. So as soon as we received that code, we were able to immediately start designing the vaccine. And in three hours, we had a design ready and ready to go. Three so hours. three hours to oh design a, a vaccine. Um, and how, how have you managed to do that when in the past it took such a long time? Yeah, so the vaccines that you and I are really familiar with, what we would call traditional vaccines, and they're based on a protein, which is different from the type of vaccines that we develop at Anovio. And they take in general two to three years to develop. So you can imagine in an outbreak setting like what we're seeing in China, mm. two or three years isn't going to help. Yeah. So that's where this new technology comes in, where we can really rapidly make a vaccine. So that was a lie. It was designed and tested for decades before being launched in 2019 and 2020. I think the three-day line was just another test to see how gullible the public can be and how audacious a lie they will swallow. But it was not fully developed when launched, or some component of it was not fully developed, so different formulations of the concoction had to be tested to measure the effect. The developers knew there would be a certain number of adverse events and deaths associated with a shot, both short-term acute effects and longer-term chronic effects, but I'm not sure they knew exactly how many or how severe the effects would be, so they tested different formulations to find out. It's important for them to not kill and maim too many people too quickly, even though depopulation is part of their overall plan, because that would generate too much bad publicity and force the program to slow down. And they don't want to slow down the program, so they release the different formulations in batches to measure the effects, figuring any hot spots of vaccine injury or death could be blamed on COVID, which is what they did. A recent analysis from a Danish study titled Batch-Dependent Safety of the BNT162B2 mRNA COVID-19 Vaccine 
was published in the European Journal of Clinical Investigation in March of 2023. The researchers retrieved all the suspected vaccine adverse event reports from the Danish Medical Agency, which were broken down into three categories, non-serious, serious, which was defined as requiring or prolonging hospitalization or causing permanent disability, and the third category is fatal. The study determined that 7.8 million doses had been administered to 3.7 million people in 52 unique batches. When adverse events were plotted against vaccine doses per batch, they formed two, actually three, distinct trend lines. 4.2% of the vaccine doses caused 71% of all suspected vaccine adverse events, including 28% of the serious events and 47% of the fatalities. A second group comprising 64% of the vaccine doses generated only 29% of the suspected vaccine adverse events, including 72% of the serious events and 52% of the fatalities. And a third group comprising 32% of all vaccine doses recorded only 0.4% of all suspected vaccine adverse events, including 1% of the serious events and 0.9% of the fatalities. The author of the study wrote, the observed variation in rates and seriousness between vaccine batches in this nationwide study was contrary to the expected homogeneous rate and distribution of events between batches. As Sasha said, there are enormous variations between batches of this material that is not just abnormal, it would ordinarily require the complete shutdown of both distribution and administration of the material. When just 4% of the vaccine doses produce almost half of all fatal outcomes, that is more than enough evidence that these inoculations were experiments on human test subjects. Furthermore, when 32% of all vaccine doses, a full third, produce almost no adverse events, and the rate of adverse events is about equivalent to what would be expected from a placebo, can there be any doubt what was going on? These were tests on human subjects. No matter what the supposed reason for conducting undisclosed tests on unsuspecting human subjects while telling them that the drugs they are taking are proven safe and effective, testing drugs on human beings without their informed consent is illegal in both American and international law. It violates the international standards for criminality that were established at the conclusion of World War II in the Nuremberg trials, and the penalties for forced medical testing on human beings range up to the death penalty. So it is a very serious crime. Now, it's not remotely plausible that every government, regulatory agency, and justice department on earth is so utterly incompetent that they cannot recognize what happened and take appropriate legal action. Yet, no government on earth will even acknowledge the possibility of nefarious intent, much less investigate or take action. And that's because they're in on it. So when evaluating the bioweapon, we need to keep in mind that it is still under development and that makes predictions of what it does and how it operates somewhat less certain. Nevertheless, there are many things we now know about this inoculation, foremost of which is that it is not a vaccine. It does not have any properties of a legitimate vaccine. It does not prevent COVID infection. It does not stop or slow the spread of COVID. It does not lessen the effects of COVID on those who get COVID. And it has a negative effectiveness against COVID and other illnesses, which means the more shots you get, the more likely you are to get COVID, get adverse events from COVID, or the shot, and get sick in general. So it's not a vaccine. It is a complex bioweapon that is based on established, peer-reviewed, and active technologies that are sub-microscopic in scale, down to the nanometer scale, which is far, far smaller than a virus. 
If you want to know why the few white hat scientists are having a hard time proving these technologies are in the vaccines, it's because there are very few instruments on the entire Earth that can detect and map items as small, and they're all controlled by governments or corporations or research institutes that work for the government and are dependent on the government for their existence. That makes direct detection of these technologies very difficult and forces our scientists, the white hat ones, to use indirect means to detect them. These indirect means include reviewing peer-reviewed papers that discuss and describe these technologies, reviewing patents that do the same thing, reviewing government and occasional private contracts that allude to them, observing the effects in human subjects that match the described effects in the literature, and examining micro and macro scale secondary structures that come from the primary technologies. Oh, and some black hat types have bragged publicly about what they are doing. I don't think you want to try and read the technical papers and patents that describe the technologies, but fortunately, you don't have to. We have some very competent people on our side who will do that for us. You're about to hear from a few of these people about the technologies that are in the inoculations and also in other things at this point. Whether all of these technologies are in every shot or they are testing some without others remains to be seen. What's certain is that the powers that run this world are very eager to get these inoculations into our arms repeatedly and the number and diversity of drugs where these technologies are showing up are growing by the day. Many of these technologies have something to do with light, which seems to be the latest and greatest research technology for weapons research, because light is part of the electromagnetic spectrum of energy that affects all life in many different ways. Just talking about light as a weapon can turn some people off because it just seems too science fiction-y to them. Remember what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. Some people don't want to accept what their emotions have been conditioned to reject. They don't want to acknowledge that a form of dark and nefarious evil is spreading like a virus through their lives, an evil that is being deliberately perpetrated by the kindly and officious-looking people on the telly, and as a result, they will look for any plausible explanation that would deny the evil that is right in front of them. Satan and his team understand this, and they're working very hard to provide that escape for those who don't want to see or understand, and they do this by postulating beneficial elements to any new technology. Any technology can be used to promote good, and any technology can be perverted to promote evil. And the most evil technological applications are weapons designed to injure, maim, and kill people covertly, secretly. These technologies will be sold to the general public as a benefit to disguise their deployment as a weapon. They are socially camouflaged. Attorney Todd Callender is one of the few attorneys in America working to identify these weapons and stop the people who are deploying them. He fights mostly in American courts, even though the American courts have mostly sided with the world and its deployment of these weapons. Still, he continues his fight by having his team of experts constantly research these weapons and the effects they're having on human beings for various court filings. The SGT report recently interviewed him about these weapons during his bi-weekly guest appearance with medical doctor Lee Vliet. They discussed a related bioweapon that will help spread the technology that is in the vaccines to those people who resist taking the vaccines. It's about getting what is in the vaccines into our arms, and somehow Bill Gates always seems to end up in the middle of these things. He loves vaccines, and his Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is one of the primary sponsors of vaccines around the world. In fact, Bill so loves vaccines that he made several billion dollars on the COVID variety. He's become very resourceful at finding novel ways to deliver his tiny payloads into unsuspecting and uncooperating arms. So let's let Todd Callender and Dr. Vliet fill us in on one of his newest delivery technologies. 
Well, as promised, guys, now we're going to turn our attention to Bill Gates, mosquitoes, and malaria. Now, this is a topic that's been trending in email with Todd and Dr. Vliet and all the other folks. Like 100 people are part of this email chain. And I asked the question last night. I said, can somebody please indict and arrest criminal Bill Gates for his crimes against humanity? Liz says, it must be a coincidence that from 2003 to 2023, there wasn't one case of malaria spread by mosquitoes. I think she means in the United States. And along comes a company funded by Bill Gates to solve a problem that didn't exist. And suddenly in the exact places where he releases mosquitoes, GMO mosquitoes, I might add, there's an outbreak of malaria. Well, we're going to talk about the Gates Foundation and maybe we'll let Tom Renz do some of the heavy lifting here. But uh, before I play that clip from Tom Renz, what do you guys think about this? Is it more fear mongering or is it no. real? Bill Gates, mosquitoes and malaria? No, he's he um, has a factory in Colombia producing mosquitoes, genetically modified mosquitoes that are designed to deliver gene modification by virtue of their bite. It's a, it's a, an insane amount of 30 million, I think, mosquitoes at any given moment are being released, released in 11 countries all the time, like every day. This is, I don't know how it is we can't embrace this. This is a fact. It's not hidden. This is happening. Well, and there's a whole additional development. And, and I have a report from Tina Leah, who is founder and president of Hawaii Unites. And she shared this with our, our email group that came in, it came out um, either last night or this morning. And she said, this is from, this is what's going on in Hawaii right now. The mosquitoes being released in Hawaii are not Oxitex GMO mosquitoes. They are a different kind of altered mosquito lab infected with a bacteria, Wolbachia, and Florida and Texas have released Wolbachia mosquitoes as well as GMO ones. This bacteria is dangerous for a number of reasons. And this project opens the door for even more dangerous experiments. Federal plans, this is an official report and they have filed a lawsuit in Hawaii. Federal plans that they reference do include genetic modification of mosquitoes, gene drives, CRISPR technology, and synthetic biology control tools. There's a much bigger agenda at play here. And she said Maui is ground zero for this experiment. They're getting ready to release on the island of Kauai. Tragic, those are such beautiful islands. It's a statewide project that will expand throughout the islands if allowed to continue. Approvals are already in place to use lab-infected mosquitoes. And what they say is the reason is, quote, to control mosquitoes of public health concern, end oh. quote. Where, where have we heard that language before? And Hawaii's Department of Health has refused to disclose the details of the plan. And so this group, hawaiiunites.org, those listening can go and read more about it. We're researching the connections to Bill Gates and George Soros to the mosquito labs involved, and she names them. Mosquito Mate, Verily Life Sciences, which is a subsidiary of Alphabet, who owns Google. And there is a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation 
that helped to launch MosquitoMate technology and Soros Fund Management is heavily invested in Verily Life Sciences' parent company, Alphabet. Their case in court is seeking a ruling to require an environmental impact statement moving forward. And KIT TV News 4 in Hawaii covered their recent filing for a temporary restraining order preliminary injunction. But the hearing is not scheduled until June 21st. So peer-reviewed studies, documents, expert scientific opinions are found at our website, hawaiiunites.org. Everyone listening needs to get up to speed on what they're doing in Hawaii because it's coming here. Oh, it's already Florida. started in Florida and Texas. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's already it's already happened in Florida. Sorry, but isn't that uh, Governor DeSantis, the guy, you know? Yes, and what on? is all of this being exposed now about Governor DeSantis's connections with the WEF? Yes, and Mr. Skull and Bones, that's right. Boy, they're just fooling us every way they can. So, Bill is not limited to just coercing or bribing people to take his inoculations anymore. He can unleash vaccines on us all in a way we can't easily avoid taking. It's hard to imagine a more nefarious technology for delivery of a weapon than via mosquitoes. Worldwide, natural mosquitoes are responsible for more disease-related deaths each year than any other single cause. Throughout history, they have been a plague that spreads pestilence and disease around the world, which makes enhancing their pathogenicity nothing but demonic. But Bill Gates loves mosquitoes because they enable him to deliver his inoculations to everyone without their knowledge or consent. If we know about the mosquitoes, maybe we can slather ourselves in DEET or stay inside for a time, but can we live that way forever? Sooner or later, one of those little vampires is bound to get us. But what's really important is the technology that's inside the delivery system. Attorney Todd Callender explains how this technology works. You mentioned in the pre-call, we were just all chatting and we were talking about yeah. Andrew Breitbart. I said, I think they took yes. him out with a heart attack gun. Dr. Vliet yes. agreed with me. And then you said something I'd never even heard of, Todd. You mentioned yes. optogenetics in blue light. That's right. And that, that, yes, can, that's right. that can target people and give them heart attacks. What the heck is optogenetics? Yeah. And what are you talking about? Yeah, that's right. Um, special types of materials that were put into the shots. Um, there is an enzyme in particular, and I just sent it to you and Dr. Bleak. It's called M-cherry. The, the letter M, cherry, just like the cherry you would eat. Um, and this is a glycoprotein that is fairly common um, in not just the, the, the COVID shots, but we're now finding this in um, influenza shots, insulin, um, all of them, the injectables. They put M-cherry in everything inside of the m cherry which is a compound they have something called opsins o-p-s-i-n-s and these are special uh, chemicals that react uh, they're called optogenetics these are um, opsins and they react to different shades of light different ranges because light is a frequency and in the case of the opsins that go into the heart tissue they react um, to a blue light frequency that will cause uh, people if if activated to to effectively die instantly. Um, having said that, I also sent you a uh, an article where they were able to cure people of heart disease with the very same opsins. So you can cure or you can kill uh, with this particular frequency range of light using these opsins. So I sent you some peer-reviewed papers on this. I would love to have Dr. Vliet take a look at this. It's, it's incredible mm -hmm. technology. 
Um, but this is what's happening. So when, for instance, you saw 150 Koreans, you know, the theoretically got trampled to death, nonsense. Uh, they were exposed to this range, uh, this frequency of blue light, and bang, there you go. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. Um, and so they fall over dead. You find um, other options deal with other frequencies of light because no different than sound, light is a frequency, and it reacts differently. So I don't know if red cures and blue kills, but um, it's all right there, and I hope people take a really good look at it. That's the study right there where they cure heart disease, but they also mention... Oh, by the way, uh, we, it could just as easily kill. Does this have anything to do in any way, shape, or form with the blue light sort of yes. 5G deals we're seeing yes. now spring up all over St. Exactly Paul and Minneapolis? Is. Yes. It's and exactly the powers that ought about. not be say that that's just a defect in the bulb? <laughs> not They're not intended to be that blue or purple light? That's what the officialdom is saying? They're all liars? You've got the evidence. I just sent it to you. They are all liars. It's complete and utter nonsense. It is about optogenetics, absolutely, positively. And and there's also the SM102 and, and ALC0315, which includes the hydrogel with, um, what is it, luciferase, luciferin, that um, creates this bioluminescent reaction is also um, a, a way to see it is through these blue lights. But that frequency of light. Dear God. You see... The best kind of covert weapon is one that can, on the one hand, be used to cure illnesses, but on the other hand, be used to secretly kill without leaving any trace of the kill mechanism for a normal coroner to find. A person would just fall over dead with a stopped heart, on command. And right now, as we speak, this material is in many, if not most, injectable medicines. Gosh darn it, why shouldn't Bill put it into mosquitoes too? There's money to be made! Can you imagine what an aspiring tyrant could do with this kind of technology? Or an out-of-control three-letter agency? But this just touches on the capabilities of the bioweapon masquerading as a vaccine. There is much, much more to it than just the ability to kill on command. In the 21st century, weapons are needed to kill undesirable individuals, but they are also needed to control the rest, influence them, and direct them to think as a single coherent entity. Revelation 17 verse 13 says, these are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Some translations interpret it to mean purpose or intention, but I think it's quite possible that God is telling us through the Apostle John that people of that future day will literally think with one mind. That is, after all, the stated purpose of the globalists. They desire to foster a single driving purpose in the minds of those who are biodigitally interconnected in their future utopia. They lustfully want to control not only what we do and what we are allowed to do, they want to control our minds and what we think and are allowed to think. And that can only be accomplished from inside the human body. The government spent decades and billions of dollars learning how to control behavior through external training and trauma, but it also learned that these techniques have their limitations. They are not as reliable as the government would like. They do not enable someone to gain complete control over the thoughts of the target individual, even after years of conditioning and the deployment of mind control techniques. All the hard work can be undone if the conditioning activities ever stop. To gain full control over our thoughts and minds, they need to go inside our bodies to exert direct control over them, and this is where nanotechnology and the biodigital revolution come in. The following is a conversation among Maria Z, Karen Kingston, and Anna Mahalsia that summarizes what is taking place at a scale that is unimaginably small in one sense 
and right in front of our face in another sense. We are about to enter a world that confuses many people because it's a world of cutting-edge science that has been deliberately made confusing, even more confusing than necessary. The interview benefits from imagery that we cannot see, so I'll stop from time to time to describe what they're looking at or to add some commentary or clarification. Let's start with an introduction by Maria Z of Z Media. Just a warning, there's some annoying background noise on the internet call with the interviewees, so please try to ignore it. We're joined now by Karen Kingston and Dr. Anna Mahaicha. They've both been on Z Media's broadcast before. You'll also find both of them featured in the recent documentary produced by the Stupiders Network, Final Days. More and more people are growing aware of this uh, synthetic biology term that really has been the plan all along. COVID-19 was never uh, about anything but getting those injections into arms, but now we're talking about, you know, much, much past the COVID-19 injections and these two women right here have been at the forefront of exposing this. Karen and Dr. Anna Mahaja, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you, Maria. Some of the feedback that I've had is that, you know, this is really overwhelming for a lot of people to understand. Uh, you know, we've been investigating synthetic biology for some time now. There's been so much evidence of uh, nanotechnology in the in the Pfizer vials, for example, in the Moderna vials, many, many researchers from all over the world. But people struggle to understand the basics of this. I want to really quickly bring this article up for everyone. Recent advances in the MIO bio interface, a review, it's metal organic frameworks. Uh, a class of promising material with adjustable function and controllable structure have been widely used in the food industry, chemical industry, biological medicine and sensors. Uh, now, uh, I won't read through this entire article, but something that uh, Karen says, which is crucial for everyone to understand, is this is just many, many terms describing one thing. Yeah, it, it's describing synthetic biology. So within biotechnology, um, which is biology that mimics technology and technology that mimics biology, basically. There is SynBio, and that is synthetic biology. And that is that is just strictly um, technology that mimics biology with the intentions of converting all biological life forms into technological life forms. And I, I sat in on a, a venture capital meeting about two weeks ago in the synthetic biology market via Zoom. And it was everything from PhD students to investors to um, obviously the entrepreneurs of startups. And what's alarming is that in Q1 of this year, $1.8 billion was invested into synthetic biology, specifically in medicines. Uh, we did talk about agriculture on the call. They did talk about um, farming as well, but the $1.8 billion in human health, $410 million was invested by the Department of Defense. So right off the bat, they have introduced several important elements to this interview. The first is the general definition of synthetic biology. It is the synthesis of technology with biology at both the nanoscale and macroscale levels. What synthetic biology is not is a mechanical or biological tool that helps people cope with adverse medical conditions. It is instead the synthesis or the joining of biology and technology to produce something new from the old. It is the merging of man and machine, ostensibly for good, but without defining what is good or for whom. Synthetic biology, or SynBio, is the tool by which human beings will be converted into transhuman hybrids. Not could be, will be. It is the merging, as the Bible puts it, of iron and clay, which symbolize two normally incompatible materials coming together. 
And much like the warning in the Bible, synthetic materials are not compatible with biological materials, yet they are being merged. The end goal, as Maria put it, is to transform all living things into synthetic organisms to improve upon nature. Another definition of synthetic biology is the corruption and altering of all life on Earth using technological processes to spite God and replace his creation with a creation made in the image of man. That is the stated objective of the globalists who control the world, and it seems to be the objective of the Department of Defense based on the amount of money that they are spending on the program. And in case it's necessary for me to state the obvious, the Department of Defense does not spend millions of dollars to make our lives better. They spend millions of dollars on weapon systems that destroy or control more effectively or efficiently. And so that's that's what we're looking at. And what they want to do is, again, all biological life forms, everything that uh, is human and everything that we ingest, they want to turn into synthetic biology. And there's no questions. They're not asking about, is this going to be... Uh, harmful to us. The only question is, and at the end of the call, they said, what we need to do is is, is sell the fact that this is the uh, environmentally safe thing to do. And if we don't convert over to synthetic biology, it'll destroy the environment. So that's their strategy. It's alarming. It's always the environment because they are nature worshipers. Climate change is just another wrinkle in the environmental playbook. It is central to their objective of nature worship, which is a form of worship that again spites God because he's the one that created nature and deserves the worship. Um, I, I was criticizing climate change. Uh, I had a, a, an emeritus professor from a Melbourne university on, uh, and he's a geologist, and he was debunking climate change very, very effectively. Uh, and so, you know, a few people who disagree were saying, oh, you know, you people on the right are so resistant to change. No, no, we are resistant to this anti-human death cult that wants yeah. to destroy everything that God made. That is that is what this resistance is about. We don't want to be walking cyborgs. We don't want to have uh, genetically modified bugs that, that present as meat to us. The question is not so much whether someone is resistant to change. One might argue that people should be free to express themselves as synthetic biohybrids if that's what they choose to become. The more pressing question is whether we have any choice in the matter. If we believe that all this change is based on cleverly crafted lies, then what gives anyone the right to compel others to accept this kind of grotesque change? The answer is nothing, of course. But they aren't interested in rights. They are interested in obtaining and wielding power, up to the ultimate power of manipulating and altering the creations of God, and the tool they are using to obtain that power is synthetic biology. But what is synthetic biology exactly? So what is important to understand is that hydrogel um, can be programmable matter that is can be made from an inorganic or an organic substance. And it's usually made from monomers. So this is a polymer, plastic basically, that can be created. And it's made from building blocks. And it turns out that in the C19 vials, the lipid nanoparticle technology, for example, uh, the polyethylene glycol and Pfizer or the SM102 and Moderna, these are actually building blocks of hydrogel. And so in this particular uh, presentation, I'm showing some new analysis of blood clots from uh, injected individuals with the C19 bioweapon. And I just wanna remind everybody 
that when we did near-infrared spectroscopy of human blood, vaccinated and unvaccinated, we found the functional group of these polymer hydrogels. And uh, so this identified things like uh, polyamides uh, and uh, uh, similar chemicals to polyethylene glycol. So this was an important uh, foundation to what we found. And then what happened was that more and more people who were getting these uh, ozone treatments, for example, or extra corporeal uh, hemodialysis type of uh, stuff where they um, uh, got treatments with naturopath. They found these clots uh, when the blood was pumped through the machine. Dr. Mahalsia is showing images of a clear tube that is transporting blood from patients to the machine and passing through the tube are clearly visible long macroscale blood clots along with the blood that are about the width of a finger in length. And it's rather disturbing. And uh, these uh, happened more and more in vaccinated people. And I've also seen this in unvaccinated people. And what's been pulled out are these clots that are like rubber. And uh, this is uh, this is not like a normal clot that you can disintegrate with your with your hands. And so what happened then was uh, we drew blood from three vaccinated individuals, 30 mils, and we just left the blood standing for four hours. And there was, if you can see here, the blood is down here in the tube, and then there is this layer that developed, and then there's a, a plasma on top of that. These are images of 40 milliliter syringes that she calls vials that show dark blood in the lower two-thirds of the syringe, with a translucent yellow clot material in the upper third, topped by some blood plasma at the very top of the syringes. And when you look at this clot from uh, uh, just the visual inspection, it looks highly unusual because the blood clot is supposed to be red. So these samples were sent to me. And what is very important is that in the original uh, sort of analysis of the consistency of the fresh clot, this is what we found. This is a little video. The lab tech is pulling on the clot, which has a rubbery consistency. It's tough and elastic, not like anything normal that should come out of a human vein. That is unbelievably disturbing. And it shows this is like rubber. It is uh, so a normal clot would dissolve. You cannot pull this apart, which is clearly uh, a... a um, feature of hydrogel plastics. So, Dr. So Anna, I've been told before that these are simply white clots. No, I mean, no. So, first of all, just simply white clots wouldn't have hydrogel plastic functional group uh, on near-infrared spectroscopy because the spectroscopy is able to chemically analyze these functional groups. And so, it, it's it's not. And uh, this, if you see here, this is the clot that I received in formalin. You can see this white stuff and then the red thrombus below. We already know from Mike Adams, who's the only one who actually did an analysis, that this was a self-assembling polymer with metals in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so this is what I then analyzed. And so, so this was- So Karen, can I pause you here, Dr. Anna? Karen, can you ex explain to us a self-assembling polymer with metals in it? Um, so these are 
what they call hydrogels or another word for them are pegylated lipid nanoparticles, um, specifically magnetic pegylated lipid nanoparticles. It's part of the mRNA technology suite. Um, so what's happening is when people are injected with these, they're, they're, they're biological computers. And essentially what happens is they hijack cells um, and they, they actually kill the human cell and then create a hybrid cell and um, build systems with the other nanoparticles. That's what the magnetic hydrogel is. And it uses calcium in the body um, as uh, as a, a source of energy, um, and it's programmed then to mimic um, cells and tissues, the vascular structure within the body. Um, so what Anna calls hydrogels um, is also called mag magnetic lipid nanoparticles. It's also called mRNA technology. Um, so what this is, is it's using um, calcium within the body. It's using blood within the body. Uh, it's it's using um, carbon, some carbon dioxide as well, and it's using the metal that's in the lipid nanoparticles to then generate out and read the genetic codes of our cells and tissues and try to mimic them. It is synthetic biology. It's it's the process of taking a human body and turning it into uh, a technological life form. This is not science fiction. This is established, peer-reviewed, journal-described, patent-defined technology that has been under development for decades. It is a DARPA-funded and developed technology, DARPA being the Defense Advanced Research Programs Agency, which is the science arm of the Department of Defense. When Noah Yuval Harari stated in front of a crowd of adoring fans that we now have the technology to hack human beings, he was not joking. In the modern age, in the last two centuries, machinery replaced land as the most important asset. And if too many of the machines became concentrated in too few hands, humanity split into classes, into capitalists and proletariats. Now data is replacing machinery as the most important asset. And if too much of the data becomes concentrated in too few hands, Humanity will split not into classes, it will split into species, into different species. Now, why is data so important? It's important because we've reached the point when we can hack not just computers, we can hack human beings and other organisms. There is a lot of talk these days about hacking computers and email accounts and bank accounts and mobile phones, but actually we are gaining the ability to hack human beings. Now what do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. Not data about what I buy or where I go, but data about what is happening inside my body and inside my brain. Yuval didn't mean hack in the sense of play around and make people do stupid things like a hypnotist does at a demonstration. He means we now have the technology to actually get inside human beings and modify them from the inside. That is being done through the deployment of synthetic biology, which has some unpleasant side effects in a portion of the population subjected to its deployment. 
The media doesn't like to report on the pandemic of heart attacks and strokes in a population that does not normally suffer from heart attacks and strokes. They like to pretend that kids get heart attacks and strokes all the time. It happens. Yes, it happens, but very, very rarely up until a couple of years ago when the number of heart attacks and strokes in young people suddenly and inexplicably skyrocketed. Just like the sudden and inexplicable appearance of a new disease called sudden adult death syndrome. Boom! Out of nowhere, young adults just suddenly started dropping dead for no apparent reason, about two years ago. And the sudden and inexplicable onset of extremely aggressive cancers in people of all ages, now known as turbo cancer. One day a person is fine, and the next day they have stage 4 cancer everywhere, and three weeks later they're dead. Turbo cancer also started to become a thing about two years ago. I guess these have to be more effects from climate change. No, the mainstream media does not want to do their job anymore by reporting honestly on these things because they've been effectively captured. They have been bought and sold by the globalists and are completely under their power and control. If you want real news and not propaganda, you have to find an alternative media source that is still trying to report real news despite the constant risks of doing so. So the first effect of the bioweapon masquerading as a vaccine is that it causes lots and lots of medical problems, often fatal problems, that look like some natural problems but are actually side effects of the shot. The Daily Skeptic just published an article headlined, Lancet Study on COVID Vaccine Autopsies Finds 74% Were Caused by Vaccine, Study Is Removed Within 24 Hours. This is an example of an alternative media story that the mainstream media won't cover. The information was pre-published in The Lancet, one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world. The article says, The paper, a preprint that was awaiting peer review, was published online on Wednesday on the preprint site of the prestigious medical journal. However, less than 24 hours later, the study was removed with a note appearing stating, This preprint has been removed by preprints with The Lancet because the study's conclusions are not supported by the study methodology. The article continues, Without further detail from the Lancet staff who removed the paper, it's hard to know what substance the claim that the conclusions are not supported by the methodology really has. A number of the authors of the paper are at the top of their fields, so it's hard to imagine that the methodology of their review was really so poor that it warranted removal at the initial screening. Dr. Claire Craig, a pathologist and co-chair of the Heart Pandemic Advisory Group, says that in her view, the approach taken in this study is sound. Maybe the article's removal has more to do with the lead authors being Drs. Peter McCullough and Harvey Risch, along with their colleagues at the wellness company, than the conclusions not matching the evidence. Dr. McCullough is a cardiologist, professor, and a former journal editor who has published more papers in prestigious journals than most people who ever submit articles for publication. They have been sounding the alarm about these vaccines from early in the supposed pandemic, despite the government's attempts to shut them down, and their former employers' attempts to censor their speech and intimidate them into silence. Maybe you don't like Dr. McCullough or what he has to say, but he has earned the privilege of publishing an article for others to consider, or at least get it to the peer review stage without being censored by a globalist-controlled journal. That is the introduction to synthetic biology, but these women and others have a lot more technical information to share about what's been forcibly put into the bodies of three-quarters of the world's population, and what is being put into the bodies of the rest of us via other means. And most importantly, they have information about what this material does besides kill people. The deaths so far are probably just anticipated side effects. After all, in any experiment, a certain number of rats are likely to die when testing out a new inoculation. It's the cost of the speed of science, right? 
this material must be placed into the bodies of the vast majority of the world because without it, the great delusion cannot happen. So from the world's perspective, it is vitally important that we not only get the first few doses into us, but that we get repeated updates injected into us as the technology is refined and further developed. There is a virtual parade of inoculations coming our way, courtesy of the World Health Organization and our complicit government officials. Next time, we're going to dive deeply into the operation of this bioweapon, so get ready to get up to speed with the technological understandings of your enemy. If you found this podcast interesting, useful, or important, please recommend it to someone you know and punch that sign, symbol, or button to encourage others to listen. Underground Christian can be heard on several fine podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, iHeart, Player FM, Listen Notes, Pandora, Samsung, Pat Podcasts, and Podchaser. Not to mention undergroundchristian.net. If you wish to contact me, please send an email to undergroundchristian at outlook.com. Lord God, plastic synthetic worms are invading our bodies from the very people who are sworn to protect us. They think they control life and forces of life, but we know it is you who have ultimate control over our existence. Protect, therefore, your faithful servants who resist this unholy intrusion into their bodies with your powerful hand of protection. And for those who fell for the lies but have since recognized their error and repented, show Satan and his human minions who really controls life by healing them of any damage done by the bioweapon. None of us are a great apostle, but we take our courage from the great apostle Paul who shrugged off viper bites and beatings because he knew you were his hedge of protection and no one could permanently harm him unless you allowed it to happen. Help our small amount of faith by extending your hand of protection over us in order for us to faithfully execute your will, whatever that might look like in our lives, even as we impatiently look for the return of Jesus Christ. He is our inspiration and confidence because we know he is coming to personally visit these demon-possessed representatives of Lucifer here in their own self-proclaimed kingdoms, an event of which I can't wait to see. And it can't come soon enough as far as I'm concerned.